0: Gracious and loving God, thank you for bringing us safely to this new week. We ask your blessing upon us as we study Jeremiah chapter 17 and 18, that we would learn more about who we are and how you see us and what it means to be faithful to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart, and give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. Like the partridge hatching what it did not lay, so are all who amass wealth unjustly. In midlife it will leave them, and at their end they will prove to be fools. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. See how they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. But I have not run away from being a shepherd in your service, nor have I desired the fatal day. You know what came from my lips. It was before your face." Thus said the Lord to me, go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, for the sake of your lives, take care that you do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your ancestors. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear. They stiffened their necks and would not hear or receive instruction. But if you listen to me, says the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it. And then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel." At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I'd intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plan it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil ways and amend your ways and your doings. Then they said, Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah. For instruction shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us bring charges against him, and let us not heed any of his words.
0: All right. And so to go back to the very beginning of Jeremiah 17, thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. And this word cursed or cursed brings us all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, where we have the blessings and the curses that are associated with the covenant. God gives the people of covenant. God says, today I lay before you life and death, uh, choose life so that you may live long in the land in which the Lord your God is giving you. And so the idea is that as we are faithful to the covenant, we experience the blessings associated with living within that covenant and with intimacy with God, but that as we turn away from that covenant, in a sense, we're turning away from the very air we were meant to breathe. We're like a fish that leaves the water that is its home to try and make life on dry land, and there is a curse for that fish. It's not that God curses the fish. It's that that fish is outside the environment it was meant to live. And in a sense, whenever we turn away from the covenant, the curse is similar to a fish trying to live outside of the water. It's like a a spiraling away from life and towards death. It's a running away towards nothingness in a sense. And so that's what the curse of the covenant is. And that curse is tied to where we trust. And here, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and who don't make their trust in the Lord. And Jeremiah's complaint, as we've done this study, is that the people are trusting in just about everything but the Lord, right? They are trusting in Baal and false gods. They are trusting in temple rituals. They are trusting in military alliances with foreign nations. They are trusting in false prophets, right? It's like they're trusting everybody, but the God who calls them into a covenant and who gives them life. And so behind all this harsh rhetoric is a real tragedy, right? It's like someone leaving the home that cares for them and that tends to them to go and, you know, make a life feeding amongst the pigs. Um, Think of the prodigal son. Um, Their hearts, verse five, have turned away from the Lord and thus, They're like a shrub in the desert. Again, this is just the same metaphor as a fish out of water. A shrub is not meant to be in a dry place where there isn't a water source, right? But that's how we are whenever we trust in something other than the Lord. And there's this very interesting line about they shall not see relief when it comes And for me, it really occurred to me as I was praying through this passage that this is actually exactly what happened with Jesus. God's relief, God's intervention, God's salvation showed up in the person of Jesus, but the people did not see relief when it came because they were trusting in mere mortals. They missed God's relief. Um, But the same thing happens with us, right? Whenever our trust is not in the Lord, we often miss uh, the very gift that God sends to us. Uh, In contrast to the curse of those who trust in mere mortals, Jeremiah says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, and then says they're like a tree planted by streams of living water. This is almost a direct quote of Psalm 1. And so I haven't done a lot of research on the author of Psalm 1 and Jeremiah. Uh, Most likely the authors are very different, but that this was a popular metaphor used by prophet and king and, and priest alike during the time, because it's a powerful metaphor that there's a difference between being a tree that's planted by a living stream where we can put our roots down deep into the source of nourishment. And then being a shrub in the wilderness, right, Uh, the shrub in the desert has to rely on the fickleness of the outside rain if it's going to get any water. Uh, It has no access to a water source where it can draw in times of drought and times of, um, you know, good times. Um, But if you're planted by a, a stream of water, it doesn't matter if there's a drought. You still have the water source. You can Put your roots down deep. And in a sense, whenever we trust in the Lord and we have practices in our life that sustain that trust, we have access to putting our roots down so that whenever we go through a metaphorical drought of the soul, a dark night of the soul, uh, we still can be sustained. We can still grow. We can still bear fruit, which is going to be a big metaphor in the book of Jeremiah, um, and so what does it mean to be a shrub in the desert? Well, we're just sitting there, you know, relying on a little money to come our way or a little respect or a little success or a little, you know, comfort. Um, we we look for little hits of of happiness as opposed to having the joy of living our life rooted in God and then bearing fruit right? The tree planted by water bears fruit. And of course, anyone who's read the New Testament knows that fruitfulness was Jesus's favorite metaphor, Paul's favorite metaphor of what it meant to live a holy life, right? The fruit of the spirit, he says, is love, joy, peace, etc. Verse nine, the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? The Hebrew word uh, comes from the same root where we get the word Jacob, uh, and Jacob was a trickster. It can also mean crooked. Um, it shows up a lot in the book of Proverbs as well. Basically, the idea here is that the heart is going to mislead you uh, It, in its natural state. Uh, it is not to be trusted, and um, that might be troubling to some of you, but what's really interesting is you know, in in today's world, um, I think that we would speak of the brain the same way that ancients spoke of the heart. Um, For us, we know that the brain is more the center of our emotional and intellectual life than uh, the heart. And what any neuroscientist will tell you is that the brain is very deceptive. Uh, The brain uh, is not uh, something to trust um, when you have Uh, an intuition, that often what the brain does is take very limited data and make up a story that's very convincing to us based on that limited data, right? So we pass by um, a friend at work and we say, hey, how you doing? And the friend doesn't answer us. And our brain tells us that our friend is uncaring or that our friend is mad at us or that uh, our friend is rude. When in reality, our friend just had her uh, AirPods in and was listening to a Taylor Swift song and and just didn't notice at all, right? Our brain will tell us a, a story. It's going to be devious. And Jeremiah is saying the same thing about the heart um, and that the heart needs some work on it. And of course, in Jeremiah uh, 30 and 31, um, God is going to speak about the renewed heart that he will give his people. The heart needs renewal because, in its natural state, it is like Jacob. It's a trickster. And in verse ten, we're told that the Lord tests the mind and searches the heart. And so, um, you know, if there is a kernel of not if, I mean, there is. I mean, that that part of your heart that's sincere, that part of your heart that, amidst its deviousness, wants to give itself to truth um, that, that isn't out to, to win and to cheat, but to, to even suffer for the sake of truth, to do the right thing, to be earnest. God searches, um, the heart and sees that and honors it and, and develops that. Um, in verse 11, we have this interesting verse like the partridge hatching what it did not lay, so are all who amass wealth unjustly. So here, those who amass wealth unjustly are compared to a bird that steals uh, someone else's eggs. And basically, this is Jeremiah's commentary on what a lot of rich people are doing in his society. They are stealing from the poor, and in midlife, the wealth will leave them, Jeremiah says, and they will prove to be fools. But I highlight this word fools because in the background of this chapter is the question, what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to live a life of wisdom as opposed to a life of foolishness? And Jeremiah's critique of his people is that they are being foolish. They are not trusting in the Lord. They are forsaking the covenant and that is unwise. And so in verse 14, Jeremiah then shifts, and he prays for himself. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. And this is really interesting, because as any person knows who offers a critique on others, um, we are susceptible to the same diseases of the spirit that we often condemn in the outside world, and um, we need God to heal us. If we are to be sincere, we need God to search our heart and to dump some gas on the little spark within our heart that wants to be faithful. And so Jeremiah here prays for himself, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. He says, I have not run away from being a shepherd in your service, nor have I desired the fatal day. And this is a little dig, I think, towards Jonah, (laughs) because uh, Jonah literally did run away from being a shepherd in God's service. And whenever God, you know, forcefully got him to go to Nineveh, he did desire uh, a fatal day to come down upon the Ninevites. Um, But Jeremiah is saying, I haven't run away and I don't desire your people to be punished. I desire for them to receive mercy, for them to know you. Um, And and this is seen as a good thing. It's a good reminder that God does not desire the quote unquote fatal day to descend upon us, that God is not in the vindictive punishment business, that God is in the call us to repentance so that we might have a life business. Uh, And so no one here, God or Jeremiah, desires the fatal day to come upon us. Um, Then Jeremiah is sent to the people's gate. Um, Jerusalem was a fortified city. And the people's gate was where king and commoner alike would enter. And so it was the perfect place to communicate to the powerful and the commoners alike. And essentially, Jeremiah's message is that they need to honor the Sabbath day, um, to cease bearing burdens on the Sabbath, to cease doing work, uh, and to trust, uh, in God by keeping the Sabbath. And this is interesting. Um, you know, Jeremiah and God are very big here on keeping the Sabbath, not doing any work. And, um, In his context, this is a way of trusting in God, right? The idea of the Sabbath, you know, the Sabbath really has two rationales in the Old Testament. One in Genesis, it's tied to creation. The other in Exodus, it's tied to God's redemption or salvation. And so we honor the Sabbath to remember that God is the creator and that God is a savior. And um, the people's failure to honor the Sabbath is really the fruit of their failure to trust in the Lord, right? They're trusting in their work, they're trusting in themselves, they're trusting in, you know, I mean, whenever you don't trust in the Lord, you have to be really busy. And and God is calling them to slow down, to to honor the Sabbath as an expression of their trust that he will protect them. Uh, But they're not doing that. But um, I, I think that to offer you a window into why the Pharisees really got so mad at Jesus, right? Because the Pharisees, they pulled a 180 and they did honor the Sabbath. They honored the uh, the letter of the law. And whenever Jesus healed on the Sabbath, whenever he permitted his disciples to pluck the heads of grain on the Sabbath, they got deeply, deeply offended And it was one of the reasons they did not see God at work in Jesus. And so the Pharisees, right, they had this tradition where they had read the prophet Jeremiah and they knew the story of uh, God's people not honoring the Sabbath and then Babylon sweeping in to take them into exile. And so the Pharisees' story was that if we honor the Sabbath even more strictly, then maybe God will not let Rome prevail, right? Because Rome was the new Babylon in Jesus's day. And so, you know, the the Pharisees missed it, just like the ancient Israelites missed it. Um, failing to honor the Sabbath or becoming an obnoxious fundamentalist about the Sabbath, um, it, they're both ways of, of really not trusting in God, if you think about it. Um, um You know, one is the behavior of the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Once the behavior of the older brother, Uh, the Pharisees didn't trust in God. They trusted in the Sabbath. (laughs) Uh, And and so we honor the Sabbath. Not because we trust in the Sabbath, we honor the Sabbath because we trust in God. And so that's what Jeremiah is calling the people to. uh, And the question is for us, what does it mean for us to honor the Sabbath? Uh, and we honor the Sabbath because we want God to shape us. And that brings us to Jeremiah 18 and this image of the potter's house, where we are likened to clay. And the thing about clay is that it will be molded by something. And so we like to think in our society that we get to mold ourselves, that we get to form ourselves. Not so um you know if you just kind of live your your normal life in our culture you'll be molded by the media you'll be molded by advertisers you'll be molded by your family you'll be molded by your friends you'll be molded by the news station you watch because the truth is like all of us you are clay you will be worked into some sort of vessel and the question is not will we be molded but who will mold us will we allow the potter god to mold us into a vessel that can hold his glory and goodness will we submit ourselves to that process um that's really the question and here the israelites are compared to spoiled clay that need to be reworked into a different vessel and that reworking into a different vessel unfortunately will involve exile and return um you know, it's almost like the question is, is God going to do this the easy way or the hard way? And with the Israelites, God's going to do it the hard way uh, because they are not trusting in him. And so the question is, where do we resist uh, God's molding of us? And where do we need to put ourselves in the potter's hands in order to be molded? Um, into whatever vessel God wants to mold us in. And how do we do that, right? How do we plant ourselves by streams of living water? How do we put ourselves in the potter's hands? One of the reasons I imagine you come to this Bible study is this is part of your strategy of being molded into a particular sort of person. Um, But the Israelites don't want to do that. And so God says that he is going to shape a plan against them, which will involve exile. So Jeremiah says all of this uh, at the people's gate. Okay. So this is a very public sermon. It's a very public message. Actually, um, there's the people's gate. Then there's the the potter's house. So two different locations. But the idea is basically the same, that Jeremiah is delivering this news to very powerful people And then what do they do? They say, thank you, Jeremiah, that is very wise. We will implement all of your recommendations and here um, have a meal on us. No, they say, come, let us make plots against Jeremiah. Um, Let us bring charges against him and let us not heed any of his words. Basically, they say, Jeremiah, we want nothing to do with you. You've got a bad attitude. You're a naysayer. Everything's fine. You're very negative, Jeremiah. And because you are a nuisance, uh, we are going to punish you. And, um, you know, that's why I would never want Jeremiah's job. Um, Maybe I I do have a job like Jeremiah's. I don't really know. I, I think being a rector and a priest is not the same as being a prophet. Um, So I'm going to say I don't have Jeremiah's job, but I would not want Jeremiah's job because uh, no one ever says thank you to Jeremiah for his truth telling. He has a pretty miserable experience and the people upon hearing his message want nothing to do with it.